Hey there, this is Emily Hoover, and we are so glad that you are listening to the Mission Point Community Church podcast. It's our prayer that this helps you grow in your relationship with Jesus and encourages you to show and share the love of Jesus everywhere you go. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's dive into the message. Today, I get to close out our series that we're called, we called Jonah, Grace Overboard. And in this series, we've been working our way through the Old Testament book of Jonah and gleaning important truths that apply to you and to I, and you and I, you and me uh, today uh, here in 2024. So week one, we learned that running is foolish and futile. Now, as a distance runner myself, I was a little taken aback by that, that we said running is futile and foolish. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute. They're talking about running from God, not just running in general, which I was glad to hear, right? So running is uh, foolish and futile. And then week two, we heard that God's grace is for all runners. All of us run at some point and God's grace is for all runners. And then week three, we said, man, it's never too late. It's never too late to forfeit what we want, turn around and run back to God, giving us a second chance and redemption for our souls. And then last week, God, uh, we, we talked about how God not only gives us a second chance for us, but also gives us a second chance to rejoin his kingdom purposes to show and share the love of Jesus like Jonah. And so today, we're going to spend the rest of our time unpacking how the story of Jonah ends. But before we do, I want to tell you a quick story. So a few years ago, I was interviewing for a campus pastor position in Huntsville, Alabama. Now, I've been a Midwesterner all of my life. I've lived in Indiana, Michigan, and Illinois. And when I was in, uh, in the South, in Alabama, uh, working through this interview, I realized they do things a little differently in the South. And what I mean by that is that football is life in the South. Specifically, college football is life in the South. Now, I graduated from Taylor University. I know Grace College students give me a little bit of grace uh, on that, even though I know that's a rival of yours. But I graduated from Taylor, and when I was there, the team stunk. We were not good at football. And I think that's actually still true today. So I was not a big college football guy. So when I went to this interview, we were sitting down in a restaurant, getting ready to talk. And the guy, that, one of the guys on the interview team asked me a question I had never heard before. One of the guys, as we were sitting down, said, so, who you for? I'll be honest, I had no idea what he was talking about. Zero idea. I came to find out that he was saying, do you root for the Alabama Crimson Tide? or the Auburn University Tigers, who you for? Basically, he was asking, are you with us or are you with them? And I can't, I, I, the reality was, I, I didn't know. That was the first question they asked me. And talk about being grilled. I was like, and, and I guess they thought it was a simple question, but I didn't know the answer. So I said the very first thing that came to my mind, and I said, I don't really care either way. <laughs> Needless to say, I didn't get the job, okay? I didn't get the job. And I know that's a silly example uh, for what we're going to talk about today. And that is the question that we're going to tackle today is this. Are there areas in our lives, areas in our lives where we put people into categories or these two camps of us and them? 
do we put people on sides, right? People on my side and people on their side. Maybe you could say people on my side and people on the wrong side. You know, the them, the them you don't like, the them you don't agree with, the them you don't want to be around or you don't want to associate with. Who's them to you? How would you define the them in your life? Are they people in your extended family? Are they people on this side of the tracks or those side of the tracks? Are they people you would work with? Are, are the people you would identify as them, the person on the opposite side of the political aisle as you? Are they or them, are they the people that you would say, man, you think that they're sexually deviant? Are, those people, are they people that maybe have a different race, ethnicity, or religion as you? How would you define them in your life? And I know we're in the first few minutes of this message, but I'm going to have to go a little deeper with this question. Is there anyone that you deem as them that you feel is undeserving of the gospel? And I know that's a tough question within the first five minutes of the message, but it's one that we have to wrestle with and one that we're going to unpack today during our time. So if you have a Bible, open up to Jonah chapter four. That's where we're going to land today. We'll also put the verses on the screen. And I also just have to stop and say, if you don't have a physical copy of the Bible, man, we would count it a privilege to be able to give you one today. So you could stop by the connection corner or guest services, and we would love to get you a physical copy of the Bible in your hands uh, today before you leave. So before we jump into the text, let me give a little bit of context that's leading up to this moment we're going to talk about in the story of Jonah, okay? So God asked Jonah to go to Nineveh, right, and share a message. Jonah ran as far away from God as he possibly could trying to get to Tarshish, right? Right there on the map. You'll see very, very far away on the other side. Jonah ran from God. And then Jonah was on a boat. There was a storm. They threw him overboard, and he was swallowed by a fish for three days. Then he prayed to God to get out of the fish. The fish spit him out. And then God once again called Jonah to go to Nineveh, and Jonah finally did, and he preached repentance. And then the amazing thing is the Ninevites responded to God. They turned to God. And it seems like it would be amazing that Jonah would be like, oh my goodness, look at this incredible ministry success. All of these people are turning to God. It's amazing. So many people are surrendering their lives to Jesus. And as you remember, Kondo said to us week one that the Ninevites were a brutal and barbaric people, right? They, they killed people for sport and did unthinkable things to their limbs and body parts. So it was amazing. It was an amazing thing that they turned and repented and ran towards God. And man, I wish, is, I wish that this is where the story ended. I really do. I wish this is where the story ended because it would end in a very tight, neat bow with a happy ending. But the reality is, is there's more to this story and it's not so pretty. We're going to pick up the story where Jonah has a conversation with God. And this was a conversation that Jonah was not particularly happy with the outcome that God decided on. In my Bible, as I was reading it this week, the title of this section even tells us where Jonah is at. It says, Jonah's 
anger at the Lord's compassion. Jonah's anger at the Lord's compassion. That's where we find Jonah as we pick up this story. So Jonah chapter one, verse, or sorry, Jonah chapter four, verse one. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry and he prayed to the Lord. This isn't, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Man, Jonah was angry at, the Ninevites, at God and angry that the Ninevites had repented and turned from their evil ways and that God had compassion on them and he relented and he didn't bring the destruction that he had threatened. And Jonah was angry. And first off, I read this passage over, and, and as I read it, man, I just think, man, this is so awesome that he's having a verbal conversation, like audible conversation with God. I wish that would happen to me. But on top of that, it seemed like a pretty bold move on Jonah's part to become angry. I'm not sure I would be angry with God in this moment because I don't know what could or would happen if I did that. I also find it interesting that Jonah is so seemingly self-righteous, that the verse tells us that he says it was wrong. Wrong that God had compassion on the Ninevites. I mean, I think that's crazy. He says it's wrong. I mean, how arrogant did Jonah have to be to say that people, God's special creation, were undeserving of God's overboard grace? I mean, the judgment that he had for the Ninevites was enough but then he goes and has the audacity to judge God as well. I mean, you may not want to stand too close to Jonah at this moment because lightning might strike at any moment, right? I mean, we've mentioned previously that Jonah's story is full of irony. And this is, this is one of those moments. Because remember, Jonah was afforded some pretty amazing grace when he was thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, then spit out and given a second chance to make things right. But now Jonah's saying, yeah, it was good enough for me, but certainly it cannot be for them. Do you know who they are? They do not deserve God's grace. They're terrible, brutal, barbaric people. I mean, this reminds me of a parable that Jesus once shared about an unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Maybe you remember it. There was this king, right? He was settling debts and he brought in one of his certain servants that owed him a lot of money. And after talking with the king and begging the king, the king said, okay, I'll grant you grace. I'll cancel your debt, go on your way. And then that servant went and found another servant who owed him a very small amount of money. And he said, I'm not going to afford you the grace that I was given. You have to pay it back now. Man, once the king found out about that, he brought in that first servant. And this is what he said. He said, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had the same mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? You see, Jonah here did the same exact thing. He failed to give the Ninevites the same grace that he had received. And I just have to stop here and say this. If the gospel is not for them, the gospel is not for anyone. 
If the gospel is not for them, the gospel is not for anyone. God gives his love and his grace to all. He's an equal opportunity offender when it comes to grace. He just is. God goes overboard with it for you, for me, and every other person on the planet. And who are we and who was Jonah to question that? Whoever them is in your life, man, the reality is that God's grace extends to them too, even if we don't like it. Grace is defined as an unmerited gift of divine favor. Unmerited gift of divine favor. That means we cannot earn or be good enough to earn God's grace, but through Jesus Christ, his death, his resurrection, and the forgiveness of sins, God freely offers his grace to anyone and everyone. That was true for Jonah. It was true for the Ninevites. It's true for you. It's true for me. And it's true for every single person on the planet. God goes overboard with his grace. But then Jonah goes on and speaks to God and he basically says, I told you, I told you, this is why I didn't want to come. That's why I was fleeing to Tarshish. This is what he said. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. I mean, again, pretty bold move on Jonah's part to tell God, I told you so. Not sure I would do it, but Jonah did. And here's the crazy thing. While he is speaking still in a very self-righteous tone, he shares the amazing character of God. And here's the deal. He told, he's verbally sharing it, but he totally misses what it actually means. He says, I knew that you're gracious. I knew that you're compassionate. You're slow to anger and abounding in love. You're, you're going to relent. In other words, he said, God, I know. I know you're a loving God. You go overboard with your grace. I knew it. I knew what you were going to do. I knew you were going to do this. You're a loving, kind, gracious God. You see, Jonah knew the character of God because he just experienced it in the previous chapters. And this is another one of those ironic places in the story because he totally misses it. He's like, wait a minute. You were given all of this grace. You were given God's compassion and kindness and relented. God could have rained down on you, but he didn't. You missed it. It makes me think about the fundamental attribution error. That is an individual's tendency to attribute another's actions to their character while attributing their behavior to external situational factors outside of their control or is morally right. In other words, you tend to cut yourself a break and we hold other people 100% accountable for their behaviors, their actions, their punishment, and their consequences. Right? They're late because they're irresponsible. I was late because my kids didn't put my keys back in the right place or traffic was bad or the line at Starbucks was too long. People don't know how to drive. I speed because I have an important meeting. 
They straight up lie to get what they want. And yeah, I occasionally leave out some details, but it's for the greater good in the end. They're horrible people for the things that they've done, and they do not deserve forgiveness. The things I've done were not my fault. You see, Jonah displayed the fundamental attribution error in relation to himself and the Ninevites. Jonah disobeyed God, and he attributed what he thought were good reasons for that. And even so, God had compassion on him. But Jonah believes the Ninevites' disobedience is so wrong, so bad that it does not deserve God's compassion and grace and forgiveness. So when God shows the compassion to the Ninevites, man, Jonah is angry, upset, and downright judgy about the Ninevites. I mean, both parties disobeyed God. Both parties were given grace that they didn't deserve. But for Jonah, he felt justified in his disobedience, like, I deserve God's grace for who I am. But then he said, it should not be for the Ninevites, not them. No way. They do not deserve the grace of God. And my guess is that Jonah would not agree with my earlier statement of if the gospel is not for them, then the gospel is not for anyone. I think he would question and say, whoa, 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 whoa. How can it be for them? They're barbaric and terrible and they kill people for sport. How can God's grace extend to them? And it was right in front of his face. And he missed it. He missed it. Do you ever struggle with this? I mean, do you ever wrestle with that God's grace extends to everyone, even those that you might put into the category of them, that you feel might be undeserving of God's grace? I know I do sometimes. It just doesn't seem right or fair that those people and the terrible things they've done, they get God's grace too. But that's the beautiful part about God. Because his love and his compassion and his grace extends to you and to me, us and them on our best days and our worst days. He has compassion for us. And his love and compassion never fail. We see this in Lamentations. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His love, his compassion, and his grace, it extends to all. And I think, like Jonah, we have to get used to it because it's just the way that it is. He extends grace to all. But Jonah doesn't stop there. He goes a step farther and he asks to die. A little dramatic, I think, for Jonah. Right? He says this, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I mean, it's a bit ridiculous, right? It makes me think of, if you have little kids, right, the tantrums they throw, right? If, you, if, you, uh, if you're a parent, you know what it means, right? If I can't get what I want, I'm going to hold my breath until I do. Right, if you're a parent, you also know that doesn't work. And honestly, it makes things worse. 
And I also now have teenagers in my home. So the reality is, is I know that it can get overdramatic very quickly and emotions can run high and they can turn on a dime, all of those things. And I think that's what happened here to Jonah. He's like, if I don't get what I want, I just want to die. I mean, God could have rained down on Jonah for this, for this tantrum that he had. But this is the, I love God in this story because God says, I could do some damage. I could punish you. But instead, I'm just going to ask you a question. And I love that. Here's the question he asks to Jonah. He says, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Simple question. Man, and I love this question because God, this question God asked is simple, but yet profound. It's one of those questions that just kind of stops you in your tracks a little bit. It's a question that was kind of open-ended and it invited Jonah to kind of look inward a little bit and kind of examine his motives, his thoughts, his actions, and his judgments. Now, we're not necessarily told what, uh, what Jonah did or said about this, but we are, because uh, we're not necessarily told if, God resp- if he responded to God. But to me, when I read the scripture, it's painfully obvious what happened. God's question to Jonah shuts it down. It's one of those questions that kind of just breaks through the noise and gets directly to the point. And I like to imagine that Jonah heard this question and man, he just kind of was like, I mean, my wife um, does that to me sometimes. And let me tell you, I need it. Um, Over 18 years of ministry, sometimes I can have a bad day and I'll come home and I'll tell about this situation and that situation and this thing. And I don't really know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm an Enneagram 8 and I'm a verbal processor. She's an Enneagram 9 and is a very good listener. It's great God put us together. Um, But sometimes she can sit there for an hour and listen to me. And then after I'm done babbling, she'll ask a similar kind of mic drop question like this where she goes, so when are you going to talk to him about it? Wow. Right? It shuts down the conversation and it puts me in my place. And it puts the situation in perspective and says, man, man, what does love require of me in this moment? And so God does that to Jonah. He shuts it down. So much so that Jonah just walks away, which I love. I think that's hilarious. He has nothing more to say. And so he slowly backs out of the room like Nick Miller from New Girl. Right? It's like, okay, God, sorry. Right? And then in verse five, we read this. Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in the shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Basically, Jonah goes out and he pouts. And this is not a great look for Jonah. I can imagine him sitting there, crisscross applesauce, with his elbows on his knees, you know, just kind of sitting there going, Phew. looking out at Nineveh and going, God, God forgave them, had compassion on them. They don't deserve this. They're evil. Can't you see, God, what they've done? But no, God had to give them grace like everybody else. I also wonder if Jonah went to outside the city because he hoped, still, even though God relented and said, I'm not going to destroy them, that he said, maybe God will still do it. Maybe the repentance of the Ninevites was not enough for God to hold back his judgment. 
Maybe the city will still be destroyed, which is why I thought, why did he leave the city? He went outside the city thinking, well, I don't know, God might still destroy it. I want to be in a safe distance if that happens. And this is when we see another ironic part of the story because right after this kind of whininess of, of, of Jonah, we see God shower his compassion and kindness and grace on Jonah again, even though he's whiny and he probably doesn't deserve it. Verse six, then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head, to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was happy about the plant. Next verse, though it doesn't last very long. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the, chewed the plant so it was, that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so, that he, was, so he grew faint. And he wanted to die, and he said it again. It would be better if I died rather than to live. I mean, here goes Jonah again, right? Whiny, self-righteous, all of that. And this is what I love is that God, again, could rain down, could destroy him, could punish him. But instead, he asks him that mic drop question again. But this time, Jonah has a different response. God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah says, it is. It is right for me to be angry. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. It's amazing to me that Jonah still does not get it. And he's still acting so selfish and irrational here. I mean, you would think that he would get it by now. But we as human beings, we're a pretty stubborn species. And although we are onlookers in this story for Jonah, sometimes we're Jonah, right? So let's not be too hard on Jonah right yet. Because sometimes we're the Jonah and we dig in our heels and we can't see the forest for the trees either because of what we're blind to. Sometimes God has to knock us upside the head or maybe we'll say it this way, God needs to take away our plant for us to wake up and see what he's doing. And I think that's what God was trying to do here. He was trying to wake Jonah up to the reality that was right before him, and he could not see it. What I mean by that is two, two specific observations. First, Jonah cared more about his personal comfort than he did the Ninevites. Two, he cared more about the plant and the vine than he did the Ninevites. He cared more about a plant than people being redeemed to God. That's what God was trying to show him. God even explained it in verse 10. He said this, but the Lord said, you have been so concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And shouldn't I have the concern for this great city of Nineveh in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and so many animals. God is saying, Jonah, I love these people and they need me just like you needed me and you don't care enough to see that. You care about your own judgments, your own self-righteousness, your own comfort more than anything else. And then the book ends abruptly, right, with this, this question of, should I not have concern? And then 
We don't know what happens after that. The scripture doesn't tell us. But my hope and my prayer is that the lack of response, the kind of very clear ending with no kind of resolution, maybe indicates that Jonah got the point. After all of this, that maybe he got the point. And this is the sentiment of why we did the Each One Reach One series back in January, because it's the same for us. Do we care enough about people's eternal destiny to show and share the love of Jesus with them, even if we don't agree with them, even if we don't like them very much, even if we have issues with them? Because here's the deal. They're worthy of God's overboard grace too, just like you and me. So I think we have a lot to glean from this story of Jonah and how we live out the love and the grace of Jesus in 2024. I mean, I don't have to necessarily tell you that, and we don't have to look very far to see that the us versus them mentality and posture is, man, it's overtaking our culture, our world, and even the church. It seems like everywhere we look, people are divided and against each other. And it's not this like, oh, well, let's just agree to disagree posture. Oh, no, 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 no. It seems we as human beings are working really hard to circle the wagons, rally the troops against the other side, so much so that we dehumanize people in the process and we make wide swath statements and judgments about them on the opposing side of an issue. I mean, we, we make these judgments about people and we put them into categories of us and them and th this side and that side. And we further drive the wedge between us and them. And man, it's, again, I don't, there's no news to you, right? That happens in individual families, businesses, churches, denominations, and communities. It happens right here in our own community every single day. The posture of us and them, I mean, it reminds me of the Pharisees in Scripture. I mean, if I was asking myself, who did Jesus rebuke most often, right? The Pharisees and the religious leaders. And I think you could make a case that that could be you and me today. So I think we should be on our guard for how we may be contributing and creating an us and them culture. Jesus had some pretty strong words to the Pharisees as it relates to this in Matthew 23. He says this, he says, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. And I don't think any of us would want Jesus to say this to us, but I'll be honest, as I was preparing this message, it made me ask this question, am I shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces because they're not like me? They don't think like me. They don't agree with me. Maybe they don't have the same convictions as me. I mean, am I shutting the door of the kingdom of heaven in their face? Am I like Jonah and think that people are unworthy of God's overboard grace? Yikes. If so, then woe to me. 
And if that's true for you, then woe to you as well. We should all step back and take a, take a different look at things and reevaluate if that's true for us. Jesus went on to say this in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. For the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your, your eye when all the time there's a plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, if we judge and we close the door of heaven in people's faces, Jesus says we will be measured with that same judgment and we will probably still have a plank in our own eye that we're overlooking in order to judge someone else anyway. So we probably need to look in the mirror, get the plank out of our own eye and love someone else. So let me, let me ask you the question that I mentioned at the very beginning of the message that those guys as I was interviewing asked me. Who are you for? Who are you for? Not who are you against, but who are you for? Are you for all people coming to know the love and the grace and forgiveness of Jesus? Or are you content creating echo chambers, building your camps, rallying the troops to deepen the divide of us and them? Man, my hope and my prayer is that you would say, no, 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 I'm, I'm for all people, all people who bear the image of God to know the love and the grace of Jesus. Man, I, I don't wanna be like Jonah and say they don't deserve it. I don't deserve it and God gave it to me. So I wanna extend it to them as well. I hope that's your prayer. That's our prayer as a church. And if that's the case, if that's the posture by which we wanna show and share the love of Jesus, then how do we do that? Well, I have a few suggestions I wanna give you as we close. First, I think we have to engage in consideration over canceling. Consideration over canceling. We need to consider and call to mind God's grace to us instead of canceling someone else. Jonah needed God's grace. And in chapter two, he was, he was crying out for it and praising God for it. But somewhere along the way, he either forgot or he fundamental attribute, error, attribution errored himself out of it. But here, if we understand how much God loves us and has grace and compassion and forgiveness for us, it would be impossible, impossible to think that someone else is not deserving of it. If we understand our own depravity, how in the world could we say that someone else doesn't deserve God's grace? I believe it's the first step in breaking down the us and them reality. Consideration over canceling. Secondly, I think that love requires us to have a posture of curiosity over certainty. 
Jonah was certain that the Ninevites did not deserve God's grace. They were too far gone, too barbaric, too sinful to be swallowed up in God's overboard grace. They did not deserve it. He was certain about it. But what if we approached people with curiosity instead? I mean, we see Jesus in the Gospels answering people's questions with questions. So I think it's a good model to follow. But what if, what if we sat down and asked someone their story rather than assuming that we know it? What if we seek to understand someone and their situation rather than wagging a finger in their face? And I think this would be huge in breaking down the us and them mentality. Curiosity over certainty. And then lastly, I think it would be helpful if we ask God to give us compassion over condemnation. Compassion over condemnation. Rather than believing the worst in someone or a group of people, what if we started with compassion like God did in this story for Jonah? I mean, it's far too easy as believers in Jesus, as Christ followers, to fall into the trap of condemning someone and condemning others as our first response, rather than starting with compassion. I mean, this is what we see Jesus do in the Gospels. He modeled it for us here in Matthew 9. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. You see, Jesus had compassion over condemnation. And I believe if we do that, we'll see things change. And if we implement these three simple, but man, very tough principles, we will see ourselves change and we will see the world around us change. It starts with us and then we get the privilege and the honor of being God's ambassadors to show and share the love of Jesus to a world who needs him. To give God's overboard grace to other people. We get to do that. So my question to you is, will you be willing to do that? This week, this month, this year? Would you be willing to build your life on God's love and his grace and then extend it to every single person you encounter while you have breath in your lungs? Would you be willing to be filled with God's heart sent out to extend his grace and his love to every single one of those people that you encounter without condemnation, without certainty, and without canceling, but instead, instead with love and grace. And man, that is our hope and our prayer. That's our hope and our prayer for all of us who are part of this church, that we would do that that we would learn this lesson, tough lesson from Jonah, but then we would live and love like Jesus and be more and more like him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this story in the Old Testament that drives us closer to being more and more like Jesus. 
God, it's our desire to show and share the love of Jesus. God, we want to have your heart and we want to extend that to everyone else. Because God, we were once on the other side of this conversation and someone extended us grace and you extended us grace when we were at our worst. And so God, I pray that you would help us to be people of compassion, people of curiosity. God, people who consider our need for a savior and realize that those around us need the same thing. God, we wanna build our lives on you, build our lives on your love and your grace, and then show it to everyone that we encounter so that more and more people would come to know your love and your grace. Make us those kinds of people, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. We hope to see you next Sunday. We would love to personally invite you to one of our services at 9 and 1045 a.m. in the Performing Arts Center in Warsaw Community High School at One Tiger Lane in Warsaw, Indiana. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, review, and connect with us on social media by following Mission Point CC. You can also contribute to what God is doing through Mission Point. Simply visit missionpoint.net slash give and give a gift today. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great week.